0: Our text today comes from Exodus chapter 17, where we find the people of Israel continuing on their journey from Egypt to uh, the promised land. on this journey for three months now, which what we know is just the very front end of a long, long journey. But they're in between the promise and the fulfillment. You know, that's a difficult place to be between the promise and the fulfillment of that promise. I think it aptly describes where we find ourselves today. We know that there is a promise that we will come back together in person, that we will enjoy the fellowship. We will enjoy greeting one another with, with hugs and with kisses and with all of the ways we are so accustomed to doing here at Sunset. But the fulfillment of that promise is still a ways off. And so time drags and, you know, you would think that as time goes on, we should get better at this and we should become more comfortable with this situation. But much like the people of Israel, it's still hard and they continue to stumble and they continue to have their moments of doubt. And that's the same thing that happens to us today. The longer it goes, uh, it seems the harder it gets and the more impatient we become. And that is exactly what the Israelites are experiencing. Let, let's read uh, Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 through 7, and uh, and notice a couple things here in the text. The text reads, At the Lord's command, keep that in mind, at the Lord's command, the whole community of Israel left the wilderness of sin and moved from place to place. Remember that the wilderness of sin, sin is not... As we know, transgression, but it's rather uh, the name of this particular place probably related to the word Sinai. So just keep that in mind. Eventually, they camped at Rephidim, but there was no water there for the people to drink. So once more, the people complained against Moses. Give us water to drink, they demanded. Quiet, replied Moses. Why are you complaining against me and why are you testing the Lord? But tormented by thirst, they continued to argue with Moses. Why did you bring us out of Egypt? Are you trying to kill us, our children and our livestock with thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord. What should I do with these people? They are ready to stone me. Verse five, the Lord said to Moses, walk out in front of the people. Take your staff, the one you used when you struck the water of the river Nile and call some of the elders of Israel to join you. I will stand before you on the rock at Mount Sinai. Strike the rock and water will come gushing out. Then the people will be able to drink. So Moses struck the rock as he was told and water gushed out as the elders looked on. Verse 7, Moses named the place Massah, which means testing or Massah, and Meribah, which means arguing, because the people of Israel argued with Moses and tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord here with us or not. There have been hiccups on this journey. There have been moments of complaining and moments of grumbling. But the people are still following God. And they're following his leading. And they're obeying his commands. And at God's command and by God's leading, they now find themselves in Rephidim or Rephidim. Which means resting place. But this is no resting place like Elim was, that oasis with its spring, with its multiple springs and, and palm trees. They arrive at this place that God has led them, and there's no water here. There's not bitter water, there's just no water at all. And as the people tried to make sense of why did God lead us to a place where there is no water, they grumbled and they complained. Uh, last week, we, uh, uh, I, I mentioned how uh, the word hangry has kind of come into our vocabulary, hunger and angry. Well, uh, let, let me suggest another one. I don't know if it's going to take off quite as much as that one, but um, grumplain where you grumble and you complain, both in one action. This crisis led them to question the provision, the protection, and the presence of God. Is God really with us or not? Again, we're not far off from where they are. Uh, uh, In the midst of this crisis, it's easy to forget all of the ways God has provided for us in the past, all of the ways He has protected us, and how His presence has calmed and strengthened us throughout this time of pandemic. The people have grumplained before three times. This is the third time in these three months. Book of Numbers tells us that they're going to complain ten times altogether, but but this time is different because this time they are actually charging God with uh, 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 an alleged crime. They're beginning legal proceedings against God, like a court-martial. They're taking God to court. This is called a test, and they're testing God. And the word test uh, uh, is a legal word that refers to some sort of covenantal lawsuit. And they present their grievances and they have their charges. The alleged crime was a capital offense, murder. God is being accused of leading his people in a place where they are going to be murdered and killed by lack of water. And not only the adults, children and livestock. And and, and while their real complaint is with God, their representative is Moses. His representative is Moses. And so they bring the charges against Moses. And Moses himself sees that they're picking up stones. And as we know, stoning was the prescribed way of dealing with, uh, uh, was the prescribed way of uh, executing capital punishment in the Old Testament the death penalty. We and people put God to the test like this in, in various ways. Uh, we, we want him to prove himself, and we want him to show up and defend himself against our charges and against our grum- claiming Rather than starting with God and viewing his perspective, we start with us and we look through life from our own circumstances. And when things don't go the way we think they should, life doesn't meet our expectations. We want to put the blame on God's shoulders. C.S. Lewis observed, ancient man approached God as the accused person approaching his judge. For the modern man, the roles are reversed. Man is the judge and God is in the dock. He's on the stand being charged. Now, he's quite a kindly judge. If God should have a reasonable defense for being the God who permits war, poverty and disease, he is ready to listen to it. The trial may even end with God's acquittal. But the important thing, says Lewis, is that man is on the bench and God is in the dock. Testing God is demanding that God show himself and do what we want him to do. Israel's testing of God here was, God, we demand that you show up and we demand that you give us water. It's to make our belief in God contingent on this demonstration. It's an attempt to turn faith into sight. And when Jesus was tempted or tested in the wilderness by the devil, at one point he was challenged to throw himself down and force God to save his life. And he replies with words from Deuteronomy, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. He doesn't quote the entire verse because the rest of the verse says, as you tested him at Massah which is this incident in Exodus 17. The people put God on trial. Now, people's perceptions of God differ, but one would expect that God would react very negatively to this questioning and to this complaining and to this grumbling, and at times we'll see that he does. But at least in this particular instance, God is willing and welcomes the process. He's willing to be examined. He's willing for the the people to present their charges and he listens patiently and then he gives them exactly what they're asking for. He gives water. The way he provides that water is interesting. He's on a rock and Moses is to strike the rock with his staff. But, But by providing water, God is affirming that he is our provider. By not... Punishing the Israelites for their questioning, God is their protector. And by standing on the rock, he shows that he is present. You know, there's numerous times in the Bible that God is called our rock and our fortress. He is the rock of Israel, the rock whose works are perfect. He is the rock who is a fortress and a refuge. He is the rock of our salvation. Jesus is our rock. But Paul, Paul takes it a little bit further. And when he talks about drinking this water from the rock, he says the rock was Christ. And we understand that because just like Jesus, water flows and Jesus is the source of living water. And he is the source of that eternal spring with the Holy Spirit that dwells within us, that springs up and rises up out of us. And whoever drinks this water will never thirst. But there's something more to Jesus being the rock. Moses was supposed to strike the rock with his staff. And the Exodus 17 says and reminds us that that staff is the same one he used to strike the river Nile. That staff striking an object was a demonstration of God's judgment against the Egyptian people and the Egyptian leadership and hierarchy and so that staff brought judgment of god and striking that object brought the judgment of god on whoever it struck christ our rock was struck with the divine judgment of god that's what happened to him on the cross he received the punishment he received the stripes he received the abuse he received he received the wounds that we deserved for our sins And yet he received the striking from the staff of God, the judgment of God. He was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. God has taken the judgment of our guilt and placed them on Jesus and paid for the cost of our sins. Following World War II, The nation of Germany faced a tremendous burden of guilt. What went wrong with our nation? How could we allow this massacre, the Holocaust of so many innocent people? Who is to blame for all of this tragedy in our country? And as the country went through this period of self-searching, they tried to figure out, okay, who is to blame? One response came from a Lutheran pastor in 1945 who wrote a play entitled The Sign of Jonah. The pastor's name was Gunther Rutenborn. And the play begins with a number of refugees on the stage and they're all asking, who is to blame? Whose fault is it? Was it the military? Was it our government leaders? Whose fault? Who is to blame? And someone comes from the crowd and says, I'll tell you who's to blame. There's only one person or one place that this blame should go, and that's firmly and squarely on God's shoulders. It's he who created this world and he who allowed this pain. If there's any anyone to blame, it's God. God is to blame. And then God is brought down and put on stage and put on trial. And the trial is carried out, and they find God guilty of having allowed the Holocaust, and all of the horrific things that happened in Germany, World War II. The crime they determined is so severe that this is going to be the worst of all sentences. I hereby sentence God to have to live on this earth he created to suffer as a human being. And then three angels were tasked with fulfilling that sentence. The first angel walks out on stage and says, I am going to see to it that when God serves his sentence, he finds out what it is like to be obscure and to be poor. He will be born in the middle of nowhere from a weak nation with a peasant girl for his mother. Second angel then comes on stage and says, I am going to see to it that when God serves his sentence, he finds out what it is like to fail and to suffer disappointment in what he does and and suffer disappointment from his friends. No one will understand what he's trying to do and everyone will let him down. Even his closest friends will betray and desert him. The third angel says, I am going to see to it that God finds out what it is like to feel physical pain. I will see to it that he dies a slow and painful death with plenty of suffering before the end. That will show him what it's like to suffer in this world. With that, the stage lights go out. The play is over. And everyone sits in darkness with the realization that God has already served that sentence. God has been put on trial. And yet, he allows it. He understands our perspective and our situation, and he welcomes our questioning. He doesn't destroy those who doubt, but rather has mercy. Now, grumplaining can reach a point where it is so counterproductive that God stops it and pushes us into a different direction. But in Christ, God is our protector, our provider, and our ever-present Lord. He was the rock that was struck, that provides not only living water, but also who provides all that we need so that we can survive. Is God with us? Yes. (laughs) He's been with us every step of our journey through this wilderness wandering He is the rock from whom living water flows. And Jesus is our Emmanuel, God with us. May God bless you today. And as you continue to look out for the well-being of your family and those around you, and as we continue to walk through this journey, as we await the time when we will see fulfillment of some of our promises that God has made us.